we go. Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. Um, I've had a flurry of interesting guests that follow kind of what I've been thinking about. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot about is leadership. And I think we have a crisis of leadership in this country. And um, so I'm very intrigued about other people working in the field of actual leadership, not just how to you know, manage your career inside of a system, but how, basically how to be a leader that blows shit up, that is grounded in their own integrity. And um, a few years ago, um, I met Perry uh, Mothmer. Perry is the founder of Relentless Leadership, and we are um, uh, soul brothers in a lot of ways and wanted to have him on to talk about the topic of Relentless Leadership. So welcome. Thanks, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, before we get into the questions, I'm curious about the context or the backstory of, was there a moment with this idea of relentless leadership that it just popped into your head and it was like, I got to do this? Or was it more of a, a like a, a revelation or a slow kind of like, oh, I'm onto something here? Yeah, it was the, it was the latter. Um, okay. I, I got invited to do something, a, a, a gentleman that had worked for me about 20 years ago contacted me and said, Hey, we're trying to do some leadership training. Do you do that? And I thought, sure, I could put something together. So I just, I put something together. Right. And, and I did it. And, and that was the kind of the seed. And then over really over the next like 18 months, it evolved into relentless leadership. Uh, it took some time to think through like what that thing was and, and what it meant. And as you know, from your background, like word choice is really important. So figuring out like what really conveyed the message. And, but then once that, it was like a, the old story about putting a spoon in boiling water, like you have to give something that everything coalesces around. And then once I figured out the relentless piece of it, everything else just kind of locked into place. Interesting. Who, who is, do you have any um, particular leaders or leadership philosophies that, that, influenced your approach to developing the the the, the content curriculum the the structure of relentless leadership well it's really based on the foundation of three things and then there are some people that exemplified it so the three things are stoicism existentialism and neuroscience so i define relentless leadership as the art and science of positively impacting the emotional states of those we care about and so I, I, stoicism is very important to me in my own life, existentialism as, as well. And then understanding how our brain works, because I think it's really important to understand our own limitations and, and how that plays out in our day to day. Because I truly believe that if we don't, we're actually a passenger on the train and not the conductor. You know, right. we think we think we are, but we're not. And and as far as people, um, I'm a, I've always been a big fan of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, and that's because of a couple things. Personally, uh, he and uh, Winston Churchill both, they both struggle with depression. Um, so they knew their own demons, right? They had their, they had their own demons they contended with. And then uh, Lincoln's practice of surrounding himself with people who vehemently disagreed with him and to a certain point even despised him. But he always put the goal in front of that. Like he always put, he always knew what he was trying to do and he would get the very best people involved. Um, mm-hmm. And then a couple other people, uh, obviously Nelson Mandela, anybody who can spend 27 years in jail and then get out and still be productive and focused and want to move things forward yeah. with the very people that jailed you. And then uh, Mother Teresa, because the one quote of hers, you know, we can do no great things, only small things with great love, which I think is leadership. Yes. 
Yeah, I love the examples that you you give. Um, I, I, I don't believe that you can, I don't think you can any longer separate love and leadership. I think if you don't love, you're not a leader, uh, just to put it bluntly. And it starts with self-love and getting your own inner shit together. That's stoicism and existentialism, which yeah. I love that. Um, I love that mindset. Um, I, I see, um, you know, leadership is one of those things that it's, it's not a, like it's not an obviously a new idea, but it feels like we have a crisis of, like I said in the introduction, a crisis of leadership. Um, and I'm and it's interesting to me, like thinking in terms of like David Hawkins' map of consciousness and the fact that courage is in the middle. And so therefore leadership has to start with a foundation of courage and then it moves up into reason, joy, love, and ultimately enlightenment. Um, I think that we have applied a lot of the lower self principles to and called it leadership. And it's, I don't think it actually is anymore. Maybe at a time when we were all trying to survive. So, but I don't know. Yeah, I think leadership is much more, I mean, I the reason I do this, I mean, my, my driving force is I think the world deserves better leadership. And I think that, you know, everybody was, I, I think that we need better leaders and we need people to be the leaders they were meant to be. And, and leadership is inside of everybody. I don't think leaders are born, right? It's very interesting. Leadership uh, can be learned, but it can't be taught. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I think that's important for people to understand. There's no one way to lead. Uh, right. You have to find that. You have to find that natural, authentic piece of yourself that you're comfortable with, because once you find that and you and you can and you can get in that groove, then great things can be accomplished. Yeah. And it's my observation too that lack of leadership is related to kind of a crisis of masculinity combined with a the fact that we we defeminize leadership for 1500 years in in western society and you know there's this reemergence now of of more more feminine and I don't mean gender more than just energetically feminine approach to leadership which is around love and nurturing um, you know, care of others. And you see that emerging now with like the prime minister of New Zealand or, um, you know, Sarah Blakely or the first, the first uh, billionaire uh, millennial, uh, the founder, the, the woman that founded Bumble, the dating and relationship app, you know, that that's, there's this emergence of more of the feminine. And then I meet men that have done that integration of themselves and they seem to be the best leaders where they have integrated you know, healthy masculine, they're healthy masculine with their healthy feminine, or you want to say like harmony between heart and mind. Um, yeah. And they show up in a very, very different way than men who are either just way up in their heads or maybe even just operating from lower self. You give somebody that's damaged at the lower self power, they do terrible, terrible damage. You look at like the, 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 out the, you know, the report coming out of the Southern Baptist Convention and the sexual abuse, you look at Trump, or others that have deep psychological damage and are given authority, and we say that's leadership, and it's it's not because there's a lack of integration there. Yeah, I, I mean, I routinely work with leaders who one of the first things we talk about is being uh, emotionally transparent to people, you know, and if and, and talking about how you feel and being able to uh, verbalize that, yeah. right? Being able to give us several descriptors of of the feelings you're having because emotional granularity is important. 
Yeah. Right? Being able to understand, to your point earlier, being able to understand myself, like how do I feel right now? And then delving into why do I feel that way? Yes. Right. Not just acting on the emotion. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's really important. I mean, I just had, I've had conversations this week with people and they tell me all these things about an interaction. And I say to them, well, have you shared that with the other person? And they're like, well, no. Well, yeah. I, okay. I mean, yeah. Start there. Like, yeah. just go with that. And I know there's a risk involved in that. Like, you have to be willing to live with whatever happens after that. But to tell somebody that, hey, you've shaken my faith in our relationship because of the actions you took. And here, by the way, is a story I'm creating in my mind about why you did that. I want to give you the opportunity to tell me why you did that. And I don't want to just go with my story. Yes. Yeah, yeah I love that. Well, so making it more real in this in the sense of people in your life. So I love the examples of Abraham Lincoln um, and, and um, Nelson Mandela, et cetera. But who do you know personally that embodies relentless leadership? Who's someone in your life that you know that embodies that? Uh, I think to a greater extent, there's a there's a bunch of people. There's one leader and one of my uh, that's that taking his team through relentless leadership right now. And, and we were on a call this morning and he was he said, I want to start off the call by telling you this and just laid it out for everybody. He's like, I have imposter syndrome. I don't, there's times when I question if I'm the right person to be in this seat, you know, all of those things with his team, you know, with his team on the phone. And, and it was interesting because the response was, uh, was hundred percent supportive. You, you know, you're the right person. We trust you. We're, we're here to lift you up if you feel down. Um, and they, the thing is, is everybody knew it. Like everybody knew it, but nobody wants to say it. Mm. Right. And, and I think that's, we kid ourselves. We, we try to joke around. I mean, I, I see relentless. I mean, I've been on this journey for, I would say, and honestly for seven years intentionally and, and being aware of it, but for my entire life of just trying to, um, you know, evolve into the best person. I mean, the, the whole cycle I use in relentless leadership is explore, experiment, evolve. And it's an evolution, right? And every day, uh, I just, there was a, a great song the other day I, I stumbled across and the the, uh, the chorus was, you know, I thank God that I'm a changed man, but some days I'm the same asshole. Yeah. And and that's my, that's life, right? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm never done. Like, that's why it's relentless. I'm never going to be finished. Right. The mere effort to get up in the morning and try it again is all we can ask for. Yes. Yeah, there's a song by Cody Johnson, who's a Texas country singer that's kind of made it big, you know, nationally, and it's called uh, Still Learning to Be Human. And uh, it's kind of a, a, a letter or a, a song to his wife about like, hey, I'm still trying to figure this shit out. So, um, and I 100% I agree that there is no finish line. I really dislike the term like reach your full potential because that it's that's it, not how it works. Um, I think, you know, obviously, you know, much deeper the, the, the concepts of relentless leadership as a model, but based off of what you've shared with me and what I've read, I, I, two or three people come to mind. First, I got to say my, my partner, Virginia, um, who is a lifelong activist leader ever since she was in high school, all the way to now leading, um, you know, especially around like social justice issues for Latinas in, in uh, Latin America and has all of the traits that you mentioned of relentless leadership. Um, a, a dear buddy of mine in Boise, Idaho, John Hardesty, he is one of the most impressive leaders and he has this relentless, relentlessness about him. And, but a lot of times what I've noticed 
with people that would maybe be drawn to a concept of relentless leadership is they get disconnected from their heart. They get hard. They get kind of David Gogginsy, you know, which I love. I think he's super interesting, but right at, at a price. Um, and then um, another guy in Austin, Douglas Ferguson, who is uh, runs a company called Voltage Control, another person that just embodies a lot of what you're talking about. And again, there's I could go on and on, but I think it's cool when, you know, we were like, you know, leadership, it's a Navy SEAL or it's a world leader. And, you know, and that's great. You know, it's Abraham Lincoln, but we look around and you're like, oh, these people are in my life. That's cool. Yeah, no, most definitely. And I, and I have the opportunity, you know, in some of the other work I do, I, I work with lots of leaders and it's, they're all unique, but they all exhibit some piece of it. Right. And, and the willingness just, and I tell them this when we're in a meeting, I'm like, you guys do realize just, just by sitting here, you've come, you're, it's, it's over half the battle. Half the battle is you've raised up your hand and said, yeah, there's room for something. Like there's, there's something I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's that sense of at the foundation, you said it earlier about love. And I think also one of the foundations of leadership is humility. Yes. hundred percent. The willingness to go, there's plenty I don't know. Uh, And that's so, and, and by the way, on top of that, that's okay. Yes, exactly. My, my, I have a, a concept called the art of unfinishing. I think I sent you some info on that, but with the, my whole concept around leadership is that leadership is about leading into the unknown, which requires humility, courage, love, trust. Ma- you manage the known. That's all the data and information and systems. You need that. You need them both. But man, you get those backwards. You try to manage the unknown and lead in the known. You get, well, you get suffering. So, yeah. so, one of the things that I've noticed about leadership, especially with men over the years, is this kind of dismissiveness towards spirituality sometimes, that it's seen as, uh, you know, they'll say something like woo-woo or something along those lines, or it goes the other way, and they're like super like evangelical, you know, conservative Christians doing, you know, the, and, that, and they, they swing it that way. I'm curious... From your perspective, what do you see as the role of spirituality in becoming a better leader, becoming a relentless leader? Well, I think it really anchors itself in the, in the reason for the humility, right? I, I, if, I, if, I, if I embrace spirituality, whatever that might mean to anybody, it also means that I'm a small thing in a big place. Right. Um, and that that's the, the, I have to have that context, right? I have to have that context that I'm not the center of the universe. Right. Yes. Uh, and I think that's where we lose it sometimes, because when I re- and, and it's hard to balance. Correct. I mean, you're you are kind of for certain people, you are the center of the universe. So it's really hard to balance that emotional component for yourself to keep reminding yourself that I'm a steward. Like these resources are not mine. They were entrusted to me. And my only goal is to make it better than when I got it. Mm-hmm. Right. Somebody else will do this after me. And my only role is to make it easier for that person. It isn't about me. It's about everything else that I've been entrusted with. Uh, And I think the other part of that, the other big piece of that for spirituality is I can understand it is not my role to judge. Mm -hmm. I am not the the arbiter. John Adams, um, it's attributed to him. And it's a quote that sticks with me every day, which is duty is ours. The results are God's. Yeah. Right. I'm not responsible. I can't control the results. I have to, my, I'm called to do, mm-hmm. right? Regardless, I'm not called to win. I'm not called to succeed. I'm called to do. 
Right. Um, and I think that's hard sometimes because sometimes it feels like we're not quote unquote winning, but right. that's not why we're here. We're here to, we're here to do. Yes. Beautifully said. Um, my answer to that is to be a leader, you have to know yourself. The, I mentioned this on a fishbowl thing I was invited to, to be on. And I said that this, the process of being a leader, a true leader, a conscious leader, if you will, is to get to know your energy and then trust it. And that get to know your energy may be, take decades, um, but you have to know who you are because knowing who you truly are is spirituality to me. Um, and it, because it gets into the, you know, the union concept of core self or Thomas More's original you or the soul, there's something underneath all of the social conditioning and labels and everything that is this whole and good and unbreakable self, big, big ass self. And I think that is spirituality. Um, just like the idea of consciousness is you're just accessing the non-animal parts of your brain to a large extent with consciousness. And then when you have a group of people that are doing that, and then you have this oneness of autonomy, meaning that you have these individuals, but they're create, they're, there's a oneness between them, which is the whole kind of namaste idea. And I think all of that applies to leadership. And I think where, where leaders get in trouble is the idea that, that um, well, the, misplacing, the misplacing of hope and faith, Put it that way. And I think a lot of leaders, especially if they are more spiritual, maybe more religious, they, I, I point out to them that Noah built the ark, not God. And, you know, so, you, you know, but we, we, what we want sometimes using that metaphor is we want to hold the blueprint and we want God to build the ark when it's really the other way around is he, she, they hold the blueprint and I got to build the ark. Well, it's that, it, it's that, you know, that old joke about the flood and the person climbs on top of their house and yeah, right. yes. you know, that whole thing. It's like, well, I sent you a boat, a helicopter, you yeah. know, at some point you got to do something. That's right. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a big fan of uh, um, the of axiology and on, ontological structures. And so one of the ones a friend of mine, Alan Prussian taught me that intention produces mindset which produces feelings which produces behaviors which produces results so if you want to change the results you got to go all the way back to intentions in the in an ontological structure i'm curious about as you're coaching leading you know doing your thing um, as as a, a developer of leaders um, what are some of the biggest gaps you see between intention and action or between intention and results you know, what, what are the, what are some of the like self-sabotaging tendencies or mindset shifts or yeah, where's the gap? What do you see that is, that is a consistent pattern? Well, actually the biggest one is the whole fallacy that this, this whole leadership development, leadership training, whatever the whole industry sets up, which is that there is an answer, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Because I, I have, at some point, like I can sit with you, like I, I was sitting with somebody the other day and they, they were going to go see a counselor and a psychologist. I'm like, hey, that's awesome. And, and, and you should, right? And, and I respect that. And they can give you tools and ideas and trick, you know, all of those things. But at some point, you have to do it. Mm -hmm. Like at some point, you have to make a different choice. Yeah. That, that's the breakdown that I see is that we think that by reading or spending time with somebody or talking, you know, we, we ingest all of this stuff 
but we never really we never really internalize the fact that it's going to require us to behave differently. Yes. And yeah. that's that's the that's the thing. At some at some point in some discussion, when I'm interacting with somebody, if I want to be a different kind of leader, I have to make a different choice, which results in a different, I'm going to say something different. I'm going to, I'm going to behave differently towards that person. And that's going to be an intention. I have to do it intentionally. Yeah. And that, and I have to, I have to be willing for it to fall flat on space. Yeah. And I have to fail. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing we need people to understand is you can read, you can communicate with people, you can go to seminars. It's all awesome. You can amass all of this knowledge, but unless it results in a different behavior, you have learned nothing. Yes. Man, that's good. That's good. I think the gap that I've noticed, you know, you, you coach a lot, you do a lot more of this than I do, but I do some like leadership coaching in the sense of like their brand, their personal brand as a leader. And the thing that I see is a disconnect from maybe, maybe I'll put it this way, an overemphasis on identity. So they, they identify with their, maybe their belief system or they identify with their role. You know, I am a vice president of logistics or whatever. And that over-identification with an identity or a role creates a separateness from the core self, which then produces insecurity. And so I, I created this thing that I call the, the fear control loop. So you have a, a fear that produces an insecurity, which produces an impulse to control, which produces disappointment because you have far less control than you realize, which goes back to fear. And, and I think that when you're disconnected a little bit or over-identifying with an identity, you, you lose something related to the goal of being authentic and vulnerable and autonomous, having courage, though all of that comes from being deeply rooted in your core self. Um, I also think that there's a more of a pragmatic thing as there's a, that's why I love you have neuroscience as kind of the third leg of the, of the uh, relentless leader mo- leadership model is that there's a deep misunderstanding of how the brain works um, where, you know, in, in, so one of my favorite books, even though it's kind of overwritten is Joe Bolt Taylor's book, uh, Whole Brain Thinking as an example, um, or um, the Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakhani, you know, that type of stuff where you realize this choice, this action to take is really to change your own neuroplasticity, your own wiring that you can do that. Um, so I think some of those things, I, I would throw one more in too, that's a gap is an un, and that you see this with men in particular of our generation, an unwillingness to confront and deal and integrate trauma, especially childhood trauma. And that thing, it's like Jung said, you know, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will govern you and it, you will call it fate. That if you have unresolved or unintegrated trauma, it is governing how you behave as a leader um, because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're connection seeking and safety seeking, which then produces more insecurity and off we go again on that loop. But I say all of that from firsthand knowledge. <laughs> so um, I'm curious, you know, I don't normally like have my guests plug what they do, but how does somebody work with you? How does that happen? What is the, what is a quick, like one, two, three of the process of working with you? Oh, I mean, we just, somebody reaches out, we connect, we talk about, usually I'm, I'm working with teams. I work with leadership teams and it's really to, 
to help them build coalition around what leadership means to them within their organization. Because by and large, most organizations don't have a shared viewpoint on leadership. So uh, that's what I try to do. And it isn't, and I just provide, what I do is, is descriptive, not prescriptive. So I'm not offering them a formula or a process. Right. We, do, we do what I call an intentional exploration of these principles. And then they figure out what it means to them as a, as a team. And they integrate that with their own mission, vision, and values that they've established. And then we measure it by their achievement of their goals. So we try to make, we try to give it context. We try to make it very real in the application. Like how is this impacting what we do today and tomorrow? This isn't theory that we're doing engaging outside. And it's really driven and they kind of mold it to be theirs because I'm not describing, I'm not prescribing any kind of behavior to them. I'm giving them principles that they can explore as a unit. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to me too. If they do that work, um, then there is more of an awareness of their energetic footprint, if you will, or their reputation or their brand, whatever you want to call it. And I love working with leaders that have already done some of that work. They, they you know, when you think about it in your terms of stoicism, existentialism, and neuroscience, they've done that work. They've done the application. They've made it real. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute, I can use all of this to actually create um, um, you know, massive systemic change if I want, or I can, I can move away from like goal orientation to impact orientation. Um, there's something about like, you get that awake alpha leader, like they have, an, they have consciousness. They're like, they're like if, if Gandhi was a Navy SEAL, you know, where there's like super zen, super grounded, but knows how to blow shit up. Yeah. Um, I think imagine a world with more of that. I mean, we don't have really anybody like that in elected office, in my opinion. And yeah. you see it some of the business world, but it's pretty, pretty damn rare. Yeah. Well, it goes back to mention you mentioned earlier, you use the term enlightenment, right? It's, it's all about that. It's all about seeking that. And, and Maslow, you know, what his original, that, that original hierarchy at the top of that was self-actualization. And, and if you read, there's a great book called Transcend. And it's a, a, a guy who delved into Maslow's stuff. Right. And he finds out that later in his career, Maslow actually did not intend for that. He, he did not want that to be self and self-actualization. It was supposed to be self-transcendence. Yes. You know, we need to, we need to go beyond us. And yes. that to me, that's leadership. Leadership is to transcend yourself and be about everything else. Yeah. Everyone else. I love that. Great. Yeah. Great place to stop. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Thanks for the conversation. I always enjoy visiting with you and, and it's also fun to record it sometimes. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. It was a great conversation.